Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason. I am from California, sunny California, and where I was born and raised, and I've been living in China for the last 10 years or so. I'm in beautiful Wuhan. Today with me is Bebe. Yes. Hi, Jason. Jason, how are you? <laughs> and hi, listeners. <laughs> I'm wonderful. It is a beautiful afternoon here in beautiful Wuhan, China, and I'm going to go for a bicycle ride in a little while. I'm excited about that. Nice. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. I wanted to talk about culture shock. And so I wanted to start this off, actually, from an expat perspective. As an expat, mm -hmm. I work with a lot. I have and do work with a lot of other expatriates. Just a real mm -hmm. quick. A lot of people are like, oh, what's an expat? An expat's not an immigrant. An immigrant is someone who moves to another country to try to live there forever. Expats generally mm -hmm. move to a place to live there for a, a period of time. So mm -hmm. a lot of expats or people would be expats, I should say, come over to China and then they, I would say, wig out or they're not able to cope mm. after a few a few weeks. And some of them we call pull a runner. Polar and this means runner? they pull pull a runner. This is literally the language in, in expat like bubbles. Uh -huh. So pull to pull a runner is to call from the airport and say, you know, I'm going home for X, Y and Z reasons and I can't handle it. Really? And da, da, da. a lot of time you get the feeling that they're not comfortable. Uh -huh. And a lot of times they will give different reasons than maybe the real reasons. They'll be like, oh, well, my mom's health isn't good or whatever. And I need uh -huh. to go home suddenly. But that excuse is usually compounded by the fact that they were visibly uncomfortable. Huh. A lot of these people, I've noticed there's a trend. They never even left their hometown. Hmm. They're like, I've never left my hometown of, you know, 100,000 people or 50,000 people. And I think my first sojourn, you know, after college is going to be oh. China <laughs> or like South Korea. This happens there hmm. or Japan or something. It's like, maybe you should have tried a different town <laughs> in this, you know, first to see if that was OK uh -huh. with you. You know, you know, come spend a lot of money mm. moving expatriates people from England and Canada, Australia and the United States to come to like Japan and South Korea mm. and China and other places to be educators and other things. Mm -hmm. they, they pay for the flight. They pay bonuses for signing the contract. Mm -hmm. They pay for a couple of weeks of a hotel. Mm. They invest people like their own people to go help them find an apartment right. and to, like maybe even loan them money to get an apartment. And if mm. for, the, for these small minority of people like, you know, maybe five percent ish of people who suddenly can't handle it and run home the companies that invested in their their moving to china lose a lot of a lot of money so yeah but can i can i ask like for people who kind of uh run away from china like what are some of the main reasons like what's what's scary or what are some of the shocks that they can't take I'm just curious. So there's this discipline in academics called cultural anthropology, mm. and it deals with this exact topic, and it's called culture shock. Mm -hmm. So generally, people, when they arrive, this is why vacations are so fun. The first week or two when someone goes to a new culture, a new place, a new way of being, people are generally like, wow, this is how it's done. Look at all the colors mm. and all the people, and they're so different, and they have different colors. And the color. food. Yeah, and the food. Yeah, and it's like very lovely and interesting. And then it's like, but I don't understand anything. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And oh, but people stand in. A, OK, so so I wanted to go down a list of some of the reasons why. And because I'm an American, mm-hmm. I can only really speak what it's like to be an American. Mm-hmm. Move, I moved to South Korea and I moved to China and both, of you know, there are differences. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I noticed when I first moved here, it doesn't really affect me now. I don't even notice it, mm. but it's like the way people queue in a line. So in the huh. States, if you stand like a meter away from the person in front of you, you're in line. Mm-hmm. You're in line. <laughs> where, where in China, people see you standing a meter away from the line. They're like, you're out. Well, that guy's, yeah, that guy's still deciding. I'm just going to get in. I'm going to get in line. Right. And so for like Americans, they're like, someone just cut me off. Right. And they're like, why would they do that? And it's nothing about them. The Chinese person mm-hmm. or the Korean person too, mm. they didn't they didn't really think you were in the line. It wasn't right. like a slight, it wasn't a slight or like I win. It was more like they legitimately were like, you're a meter away from the person in front. You're so, still hesitating. <laughs> yeah. Americans are like, we need our personal space a lot of the time. Right. There's a there's right. a famous episode of Seinfeld, the TV show. Right, I love it. Where uh there's this guy, uh, the close talker, mm. and he walks up really oh, close to people oh, in the face. Oh, and starts talking to them and invades their personal space. Mm-hmm. This is a big deal for Americans. They're like, right, right. but in China, people aren't really close talkers. I shouldn't say that. But a lot of people in China, they're like, they queue a little closer. It's not like mm. mean to be offensive or anything. They just stand up maybe a foot. That's an American term. They stand about a foot behind the person in front of them. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're any in, in China, if you're like two or three feet away from the person in front of you, people aren't sure. Are you in line or not? <laughs> Some people have asked me, are you in line? <laughs> yeah. Are, yeah, I'm in line and that that's a cute so i've learned to stand a little bit closer Uh and so this is just one of those things so it's so small and it's almost imperceptible Mm -hmm. to like you know people living here and like living in china that but for for some some people come they come from some town Mm -hmm. in like nebraska or kentucky or some you know they don't think about this and suddenly this small tiny really distinct feature becomes a big deal for them also like the places you mentioned um, in the states, like things are more spread out. Mm, 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 you just don't mm, have the population density. Mm. But here in Chinese cities, like if you want to get in line, you need to get in line. Mm, right? Mm. Have you been? You've been to train stations many times yeah, yeah, by yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Hundreds of people are getting ready to get on a train. Mm. They can't afford like a meter apart. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> it but wouldn't now work. Can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't work. You would be outside the airport. Yeah. But I mean, nowadays that. You know, pandemic times when you if you're going for like one of those testing sites, yeah, yeah maybe yeah, yeah. they suggest that you stand a meter apart and they will have like mm, dots mm. on the ground <laughs> where you're supposed to stand there. But normally everything is a little closer because, I mean, it's for experts, they're probably coming into these cities, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right, instead of suburbs or villages and towns. Mm. So I think that's another reason why it's just higher population density, a culture wise too, culture wise too. There are a lot of cultural differences I want to talk about later, but Mm -hmm. just the ones that I've noticed people get a culture shock by. Another one is volume. So like, Mm. for example, we just talked about my mother-in-law's living here. Sometimes when my wife and my mother-in-law are talking, they're like talking like this. Mm. And I'll be like, is everything okay? And they're like, yeah, we're just, what kind of dumplings are we going to have for dinner? 
It's like, oh, okay. So I've noticed a lot of ex- expats when I thought, what's wrong? Why do you feel this way? They'll say like, well, everyone yells at me. And I'm like, oh my I, God. I don't, th- I think that they're just misunderstanding. You know, they're smiling. You, you meet a taxi driver. They're like, hey, law, my friend. Da, 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 da. They're really excited. And I think a lot of foreigners, they're like, why is he yelling? It's so loud. And like, but they just mean to be friendly and stuff. And people, you know, have especially, a difficult time understanding that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially uh, like in Wuhan, we mentioned this last time, the Wuhan dialect. Mm-mm. It literally just sounds like people are bickering, <laughs> like they're arguing yeah. over everything. But they're actually just talking. But some people are bickering. Mm. <laughs> but in most cases, um, that's just like the way their dialect sounds like. Or, you know, when it comes to space, personal space, that's mm. I think that's the focal point of the cultural differences between um, the Chinese society and, um, like, say, American society. Mm-mm. Because I think that's what shocked me the mm-hmm. most. Mm-hmm. Where did you but move to? Where did you move to when you moved? I We landed in New Jersey. What would you say your first like month what what were the things that you noticed well first month was summertime so Mm -hmm. there was like nobody around (laughs) (laughs) and then september came around and i started school in high school and i think if you ask me one thing about you know what kind of culture shock i had i would say space Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. distance between people it's it's very different and one thing i noticed i felt that you know in the states Everybody is really nice. Hmm. You know, everybody's really friendly. You know, when I back in high school or when I started work and just people you meet, they're very nice. Hmm. But it's hard to bond. You know, I mean, it's hard Hmm. to establish a personal bond. It's like I'm nice, but Hmm. please keep a certain distance. I think that bit was a little bit difficult for me. And for the four years that I um, studied in high school, I have to admit that I felt pretty lonely. And it's lonely, of course, I mean, when I first arrived, there was the the language barrier. I mean, I literally couldn't speak in Mm. English. But that took, that only took a couple, couple months time Mm -hmm. for me to to learn the language and start (laughs) communicating. It it happened pretty fast. But, you know, that was just only part of it. A lot of it more was cultural. Mm. And the distance that I felt wasn't just relationship wise. Mm -hmm. It was also physical distance. Mm -hmm. People lived further apart. And also in school, the students move around. Like I would have, you know, you would have homeroom for like 10 minutes or so. Mm. And then everybody just scatters. There isn't like a long period of time where you spend with, you know, like friends. You know, it, I felt like I didn't have enough time and the stability to to bond with people very well we were like we kept moving around Mm, mm. and that was very very different from the junior high years that i spent in china the highlights of my life there are a couple segments and the junior high three years in junior high spent in wuhan in china those were one of the happiest segment Mm. uh from my life and the happiness like work it was a lot of work Mm. it was um you know a lot of things to study and we worked till late into the night studying but it was so much fun because Mm. we were in this together the whole class there were over 50 of us that so the over 50 of us we stayed in the same classroom for three years wow with the same set of teachers so it was a family in itself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the teachers like for for all our classes they were the same ones for three years so we the teachers and students were bond Hmm. they were like our moms and dads in school (laughs) and the classmates we weren't friends with everyone there are students you liked and there are ones you don't like right sure yeah but 
you get to pick and choose. Yeah. And I I happen to my best friend, best girlfriend, even to this day in the first year of junior high. And that has made all the difference. And it wasn't just my relationship with her, but also with the rest of the kids. There, you know, there's got to be a couple kids that you like. You have your little niche mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. group. You know, I remember we would uh, sometimes we have nighttime study. Like we will be in the school. We will go back to school after dinner. And study for a few more hours until like nine o'clock. It sounds terrible, right? But it was so much fun because we were doing this together. It didn't sound terrible. I loved that. Really? Yeah, about college. I know. Yeah, about college. I loved being in the library amongst the dusty books right. and walking out and the sun's like coming oh. up. It's like I felt so. What a like, nerd. Ah, this is what it's. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But you know, you mentioned space uh, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the space is is a big deal in America. That's why I everyone know, has a car. That's why a family living in a single house sometimes has two or three cars. Right. Because every member of that household who's above 16 has a car. Mm-hmm. Because if you want to go somewhere, you have to have a car. If you don't have a car, you can't get there because right. it's so far. Whereas like in China, you know, like you're in a big city. I'm in Wuhan. And I'm in actually in what we call like a suburban kind of like mm-hmm. area. I could walk outside and there's restaurants within five minutes right. everywhere every direction i walk it's so like i don't need a car people have cars mm-hmm. sure they do in china they absolutely have cars but it's not the same where like you have to get in a car and drive 20 minutes to go somewhere it's not as necessary yeah that's one thing i think one of the reasons why i decided to come back because i don't like driving mm. you know i i think it's a it's a very um harsh psychological toll it takes a psychological toll on me because mm-hmm. i think it's just it makes me nervous mm-hmm. um but then if i stay in the states the only place where i can live without getting a car is like you know new york city or yeah, boston yeah. maybe you know somewhere with the subway station yeah, certainly not la <laughs> right but so here you know in beijing i don't need to worry about that right there are so yeah, many ways yeah. to get around yeah so that's like a huge relief but of course, I know most people don't suffer from this. I, I just really don't like driving. I mean, actually with you, I don't like driving too. Mm-hmm. I could easily afford a car, but yeah. I don't want one. I'd just rather have like use a DD or like ride my bicycle or walk right. or like take the subway. And the hassle yeah. of finding a parking space i mean i mean i have a list so you have you have finding a parking space paying for parking you have changing your tires right. r- rotating your tires changing your oil car <laughs> maintenance you you have to pay for your insurance you have to make your car payment you have to have the down payment for the car right. like sometimes in beijing you need to have a parking space that you pay for that accompanies you your, buy, yeah though. you have to either rent or mm. buy a parking space and then like oh my gosh and then if you want to walk around, you have to go back to the same place that you left your car. You can't just like right. get a DD on the other side of the park. You have to go back to where you came from because your car is there now. <laughs> like it's so inconvenient. Why would you want a car? Yeah, so I, I don't. I, mean, I don't drive and yeah, yeah, uh, there's yeah. a subway. It yeah. connects everywhere. I mean, my point, um, hmm. what I was saying, uh, my experience from high school is with, you know, back in China, there is always the sense of belonging. Hmm. You know, when I was with my family, and by family, we don't just mean mom, mom and dad. It's like the whole big family, your aunts and uncles and your cousins, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. There is a sense of belonging. I belong to this family. And it's, it's a huge support. You know, it's your the background of your life. Mm. And then when you go to school, your school is a little community. Your class is a little community. Mm. You belong to that class. 
I mean, we just reconnected this WeChat group of my elementary school kids. Mm. So with that class, we stayed together for five years from when we were six till we were 11. Wow. Um, some were 12. So, it, <laughs> you know, there's you always have this sense of belonging and the sense of security. And then all of a sudden for me, you know, when I moved to the States and started high school, Everybody was moving around mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it took me like three years to make a friend. Mm. I finally had a really good friend in junior, maybe the second part of junior year and then all through senior year. And I felt so much better. It's like I finally can take root, you know, there's someone I can talk to. And we were both like nerds, <laughs> but, you know, nice, nice, normal nerds. We weren't like weird or anything. And we would talk about books and we were all very good students. And I felt so much happier. So I, I, I there's for us, the sense of belonging is very well, important. Well, certainly like when you, you were in, in the United States for a long time, I ask how many years? Uh, over 10. So when so this is something I want to come back. I wanted to come back to later, but it's actually maybe a good time now. Mm -hmm. You eventually returned to China because you're living in Beijing now. Right. May I ask, upon your return, did you find some things a little different, like a little weird? We call this reverse culture shock uh not really not really i mean i think it's much easier for me to start building a web of relationships mm -hmm. to be falling into something like to belong again i mean once i came back it was so easy to make friends and that was very very soothing I think. I mean, yeah, for you, it seems like it's very much about networking with people. That seems to be your yeah, thing. Well, that, that doesn't sound right, though, because when you say networking, it's like, you know, it's got this business tinge to it. It's mm. like, I'm, you know, I'm doing business. But here it's just making friends. I, uh, that's how I would put it. For example, when I started working at the radio station, like my coworkers were my friends. They are still my friends. I go to work. It's like I chat with my friends. And that's how my social, when I first arrived back here, you know, that's how I started hmm. building my social network. It, it sounds like I'm building something, but it's, it's actually, <laughs> that's how my social network formed, hmm. you know, from my uh, workplace. And that was, that offered me the sense of belonging. Hmm. Not, no, I'm making myself sound like a very vulnerable, lonely person. I'm not. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I, I think from going from China to um, Western countries, you are like, you are throwing things off. What I mean is when you grow up in the Chinese culture, you grew up with, I wouldn't say baggages because that has a negative connotation to it, mm -hmm. but you grew up with connections, mm -hmm. right? You are connected to your family, to your loved ones, to your friends and neighbors and your, your classmates. These are all relationships that you've built up in your life. But when I went to the States, I kind of just, I, I felt like all those things were falling apart. Let me see if I can redirect you to some of the mm -hmm. cultural aspects I was hoping to elicit. Sure. So let me, let me give you, so I'll, I'll give you some examples. When you were in the United States, did you see guns? Uh, not while I was there. I think that became. Like a cops with guns? Like cop, did you see the cops wearing the guns? I know they have guns, but never pointed at me. <laughs> I mean, but you never saw. <laughs> See, for me, growing up in the States, firstly, you know, lots of people have guns. So, you know, one of my brothers, huh. he he likes, he's into guns. And I've seen lots of, I mean, I grew up in this place called, partially, I grew up in this place called Oakdale. And lots of people there have guns. They have their gun collection. Oh. Some people have like a, a place in their backyard where they have like a, you open it up and there's like shooting guns. Range. Like, and I'm not, I'm not, oh my gosh. not just a shooting range, like, you know, machine guns and stuff like. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And I've been robbed at gunpoint and like all the cops I've ever seen, I see their gun on their holster and I've seen guns and people's like uh, uh, on their like ankles and stuff. So I come to China and oh. it's like there's no guns. 
not even the cops. The cops don't have guns. No one has guns. Like, it's just like, right. okay, the guns are now gone. So like, this is a cultural, I'm not saying I was shocked by it. Either way, when I went back to the United States, I wasn't shocked by it because I, I know very well about like uh-huh. the fact that this is an, a thing. But it is a huge difference mm. that I noticed between these two massive cultures that mm. in China, guns are like for soldiers, you know, like no one else has guns. Right. And like and in the United States, there's just like I could hear the gun range from my mom's house, you know. Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> see here, it's odd that you talk about this because we don't think about this. Hmm. Like guns are not in anybody's mind uh, unless you are a soldier and or special force in the in the police. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just it's never part of the conversation. People don't even talk about it. <laughs> When you were living in uh, New Jersey, uh, I guess, or wherever where else you lived in the United States, mm. did you ever feel like unsafe or like did were you ever uh, touched by criminality or your friends touched by criminality? No, no. All the years that I was wow. in the States, I was fine. I mean, I we lived simple lives. Mm. I mean, for us Chinese people, we don't go places, man. <laughs> we just <laughs> we go to like Costco. We go to Chinese supermarkets. We go to the Chinese restaurants <laughs> and okay. then go to All school. Right. We live very simple lives. We don't go to bars. No. We don't go for, what do you call it? Like dance or raving, wow. things like that. I was a library nerd, but like I had a car <laughs> right? stolen. I was in a Handshake. in one of my universities. I went to several universities. I was in one of them. I came out. My car was gone. I was like, okay, the police find it like a oh. week later where it's like just a pile of <laughs> oh parts, you know, like serious. And I had another car where the, oh, the radio no. was stolen out of that car. <laughs> and then I replaced the radio and the radio was stolen out of that car again. And then I had, uh, gosh... I was oh I was God. robbed at gunpoint one time. <laughs> I was sorry, at a friend's Jason. party in their house and someone was stabbed at the party one time. Oh, my God. I guess, you know, like maybe San Francisco. I guess New Jersey <laughs> is the place to go because. <laughs> hey, <laughs> listen, listen. Imagine if we are eating at a dinner banquet. Mm. We talk about dinner mm. banquet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Jason, you started talking about this, like all the Chinese guests would be like literally their chopsticks would be suspended <laughs> midair and with like noodles drooling off their the corner of their mouth we're like what is he talking about <laughs> yeah you know and i it's very shocking sometimes you late at night you know 2 a.m if i'm by myself i certainly do feel scared you know i've been in, in areas where i didn't feel comfortable because i thought the, hmm. the possibility of my being like involved in someone else's criminal attempt on me was was higher and so like <laughs> I know what I mean is one of the things that I felt when I went back from my reverse culture shock is I I never feel that way here in China anymore. Right. That's good. Like it's always safe. I've never feared that some criminality, anything bad was ever going to happen to me in that kind of way. Yeah. When I went back my first day. Uh The second time I went back to the States after like seven years of living here in China, I was on a train and I was like, I think I might get robbed today. (laughs) I was scared a a little bit, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And like, I guess nothing happened. It was all in my head a little bit. But because of my history of knowing about it and seeing like, you know. Well, I I lived in New New Jersey for a few years and then our family moved to Virginia, which was also very nice. Mm -hmm. And then I went off to college and that was very nice. Mm. but. 
as I said, I, you know, I lived very simple lives. Mm. I never thought that that was part of the scene. Maybe it was happening elsewhere to other people, but, you know, I just, it was never part of my life, fortunately. Mm-hmm. You go back to the States sometimes now, yeah? Every now and then? I haven't been back for for as long as the pandemic has been yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But normally we would go back, you know, once a year and we'd travel. Mm. Yeah. notice is I was here in China when we transitioned from using cash money Mm. to just using like Alipay and WeChat Pay and all this other stuff. And so like when I went back to to visit my mom a few years ago, it was like, I got to carry cash now. (laughs) And like, this is the way to pay for things. And like, I have all this dirty, like greasy money. (laughs) Like I'm supposed to use that to get stuff. Uh, Your mom be like, look at how spoiled you are now, Jason. It was like really kind of strange. It was almost like nostalgic or something, like going back in time. Mm. It's like, okay, I got money again, I guess. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't like a shocking thing, but it was definitely weird. It was definitely like being in the dream when I was using the money like why was this See, paper that, here <laughs> I think there's a, that's another reason why here let's say if you are if you pick pockets for a living here in china <laughs> nowadays <laughs> you, you're not going to have a lot of business yeah. because people don't carry around cash yeah. or their you know valuable belongings yeah, and if you steal someone's phone you can't open it because you need their face and fingerprint and all this other stuff to get it open and also and also because people are so glued to their phones yeah yeah like you have no chance <laughs> they're always looking at their phone well i have a 5g so, phone so even i can open my like my shouchu gate and my like building gate oh. with my phones so like it literally does every actually i can adjust the air conditioner temperature really with my phone yeah 5g is amazing you gotta get it you gotta get it baby i was telling you before <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well I'm, you can do everything i am it. paying for it i just don't know how to you know get it <laughs> it's beyond <laughs> me now yeah anyhow well i'm happy that we're living in safe places and also i have to say that um the the thing about guns and all it really wasn't uh, in our on our minds when I was living in the States. But it's been 10 years now since I lived there. And in the past few years, we do hear more about accidents, incidences, gun control in the news. I think it's becoming a little bit more frequent. And maybe because the economic background and also the pandemic. You know, when the when people run out of ways to go upward, you know, they will go somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like if you don't give people the the path of mobility to go somewhere. I think I think that's part of it. I think it's also uh, mental illness is not being addressed in the United States. It's not. I think that's I think you are so on the point. You are so right. I think it it is part partially about like, you know, people, they rob places because they need money Mm. because social mobility is not there. You're right. That happens. But these crazy. Crazy shooters 
who just run in and start murdering people like a lot of them they just need like therapists or like to be in an institution for a while where they can talk to someone about their problems or like will you get into trouble talk, like saying this in the states <laughs> No, no, everyone talks about this in the States. Yeah, I think that's a really great point that I miss myself. Another thing of cultural shock, I have to say, is that there are, when you go to the States, you notice that there's a great diversity of mm, people. Mm, mm. And of course, when people speak of diversity, you think about where they come from, the country, mm. uh, nationality, and also race. But for, for me, and maybe for other immigrant families, you notice how th there's a variety in mental states. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the U.S. society is so much more tolerant of people outside, let's say, my understanding of being normal. Um, you just <laughs> I, I think so many of our listeners must be laughing, too. <laughs> so, okay, I'm sorry. I, I try to put it. No, 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 know, no. That, that's great. Go on, please. Something about Chinese mm, culture. Mm. Let me start from here. There's something about Chinese culture is, let's say you meet somebody. There is like somebody new, okay? Mm, mm. And then there is this silent mental scan mm. of this new mm. person, of this stranger, to vow, to, to gouge how normal he is. This just goes around, like second nature, third nature, I'm not too sure, but in the back of your mind. Because there, I think in Chinese culture, there is, I imagine there's like a square, the square of normality. Mm -hmm. Most people fall into this square. And that's considered a good thing in this culture. Mm. We, we are not, uh, we're not, as good adapting to abnormality <laughs> or mm -hmm. people, you know, abnormal. so when you meet someone, you know, you, you chat for a bit and then you gouge how normal he is. Mm. And if he falls into your square of normality, you know, you kind of sigh of relief. Okay. You know, this is someone <laughs> I can talk to like you, Jason, we talked a little bit, you know, before we started our mm -hmm. show and I was like, you know, he's, he's, he's perfectly fine. He's a normal person that you can communicate with. You know, you can talk to them. And they say would start saying things, so their responses are just off the grid. Well, I think actually you're just defining. We, we were talking about Seinfeld earlier. <laughs> the entire show of Seinfeld is about noticing mm. the peculiarities about every new person they introduce to the show. I think it's universal <laughs> a little bit. Like there's yeah. a maybe maybe in the United States the range mm -hmm. is bigger, but <laughs> but there's still there's still like yeah exactly the range is mm -hmm. the square is much much bigger, but it's so big that it's a little beyond comprehension mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. a lot of Chinese people. Like it's it's way bigger. For example, we mentioned about you wearing shorts, right, yeah, yeah, in the yeah, winter yeah. time in Wuhan. Mm. Now, for uh, for foreigners, we know that oh, that's what they do. You know, some people <laughs> they do that. But if you see a local Chinese doing that, like wearing shorts in the winter time, mm. like that falls outside the square of normality. Actually, <laughs> you just pointed out something really interesting, baby. I want to. I'm sorry, I want to railroad over you a little bit here. Sure, please. As a foreigner, that's kind of one of the really nice things because whatever weird thing we do, we can just say, "Oh, it's mm -hmm. because we're a foreigner." And like, so they know, yeah, yeah. We, whatever peculiar <laughs> habits we might have, like we could just be like, "Yeah, we're be it's because we're a foreigner." <laughs> but you know, actually, a lot of the foreigners over here, mm -hmm. they're not necessarily falling within the range or the the square of normality right. in their own countries either. I think the test really comes when you start to communicate with that person, right? I think mm. um, the, the other things they do, like what they eat, how they dress, that's external, right? The internal mm. is you have to talk to that person to, if, to see if he makes sense. 
to see if he can com- you can communicate with this person. And if you find that difficult, like you say something and what they bounce back is like on a totally different channel. And you try for a while and you see that you just can't establish a normal conversation. And then we know that, okay, maybe that's out of the area of the box of normality. <laughs> Up. So you were talking about being in um, junior high school right. in the United States. High, you school, had, in the uh, high school. And you had your niche and other people had their niche and people have their friends and you have your friends. I think there's also within Chinese culture, because it's not monolithic, mm. that there's also just people that they get along with each other better and maybe other people don't get along with them. I've seen, you know, lots of Chinese people were like, no, I don't like that right, person. Right, right, so right. I think there's also just some people they jive better. They have a better like wavelength with one another within different cultures too. But the the thing that I had a problem with back in high school was I did mm-hmm. not have the chance to establish these relationships. We were moving around so much that I didn't really get to talk to anybody for like long periods of time. Like for example, when I was back in junior high, we it was the same class, same people for three years. And then we can, you know, it's 10 minutes between classes. So we play together, we, we chat, right? And uh, we lived closer together. But back in high school, I didn't live close to anybody. It was so mm-hmm. spread out. If you have to, you have to set up dates to meet people. Mm. Okay. And that just complicate things because you have to talk to your parents. And she has to talk to her parents, you know, before we could drive. Mm. And to set up, it's just different from when, you know, back in junior high. I just go up to my friend's apartment building and I'll just start, you know, I'll stand downstairs and yell her name and she'll come down in a few minutes. You know, I th- and we would just go play. I think we could yeah. also do an episode just on making friends. You know, in Japan, they have this famous service, Rent-A-Friend, right? Huh? So like they have a service. What? This is not a dating service. This is not an escort service where you're hiring a beautiful, like tall woman to hang out with. This is like rent a friend. Sometimes you can actually Mm. rent a whole family. So you can rent like a brother and a sister and a mom and a dad and like go out in public. People, people rent friends to go and talk at the coffee shop with. And, you know, they become actual friends. All there, there's a financial. That's sad. I know. I know. But my point is like making friends in all kinds of different cultures. And it's really complicated and it's not always Mm. as simple as as it seems. But I wanted to pivot a little bit. Sure. Have you ever heard in China or maybe? in the states the phrase when in rome or sometimes it's said when in rome do as the romans do right of course yes this Mm. this is a huge thing for a field an academic field called cultural anthropology and in cultural anthropology these people train Mm -hmm. cultural anthropologists they train to go and live in other culture sometimes Mm -hmm. this could mean like living in papua new guinea in the jungle with like papua new guinean people and speaking their language Mm -hmm. and learning about their culture and sometimes it could be a corporate culture so going to work in baidu temporarily and then you you give feedback mm-hmm. to the managers about what the corporate culture looks like from a certain angle so that they can make adjustments mm. to their company to increase efficiency and, and hap, you know happiness among the employees right so one i i learned a lot about this before i came to china and so for me it was like come to china mm-hmm. okay this is how this is what people eat you know and this is how kind of people 
they communicate. So I'm going to try to communicate in that way. And I think for a lot of people mm. who uh, move abroad, mm -hmm. this is something they really should think about because I know a lot of expats who still live in China who like, mm -hmm. you know, 95% mm -hmm. of the food they eat is the food from back home. They go exclusively to like pizza places and hamburger <laughs> joints. And like, I'm not trying to complain or rat these people out, right. <laughs> but like, you know, maybe yeah, why come to China? You're missing out, right? Not and then not like try to like mm. live a little bit like the people in China do. It makes it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's like <laughs> cloistered off and they're like little we call this the bubble, the expat mm -hmm. bubble. So a lot of people who've even not mm. just people who've lived here one or two years, people who've come here and they've lived here for 10 years. Mm. And then you're like, oh, yeah, what kind of Chinese food? I don't. And they're like, mm -hmm. I don't eat Chinese food. And in my mind, I'm like, what is going on? What are you talking about? This is China. You think Have the hot dry noodles. <laughs> Try it. It's really good. How? And they're like, oh, my stomach doesn't. I think that's an excuse. My stomach doesn't agree with it. <laughs> they're just like not willing to step out a little bit. You know, you're mm -hmm. in another country. You go. If I, if I was in Japan, I would be eating sushi. If I'm like in Italy, mm. I'd be eating pasta. If I'm like in, you know. It, right. That's. But at least try it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I want to ask you about something. Mm. So it's also about social distance. Mm. In China, you probably have noticed like when people ask. Um, even people you don't know very well, let's say you're introduced to somebody's aunt or uncle and they'll start, you know, just chatting and asking you mm. questions. Mm. You know, usually it starts with how old are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then like, are you married? Um, what do you do? What do you do? Yeah. Or even even they'll get to how much money do you make? Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. you know, for someone who has never been outside China, especially in the States, we don't think that's anything odd. Mm, mm, mm. You know, we're just getting to know you. And maybe they have a friend in mind that, you know, they could connect you with mm -hmm. things like that mm -hmm. or a job offer yeah. that I think will be suitable. You don't know until you get to you establish the basics. Yeah. But then I know that back in the States, you don't do that. Right. Unless you know this. You don't person. ask a woman her age right. <laughs> in the South. You don't you don't go to Louisiana and say, how old are you, man? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what's going to happen after that. But oh, my goodness. He's so rude. <laughs> but the yeah. thing is, I, I've learned that in, in the States, you don't ask these questions, mm, right? Mm. You're very conscious of whether or not you're invading people's mm, uh, mm. private or personal space. Yeah. Here, not so much worry about that. I think, did you, was that a bit of a shock for you? I'm actually kind of, I don't have a filter sometimes. So I'm one of those people that just likes to lay it all out there and like just talk about whatever. So when, <laughs> when I came to China, it was almost like a better suit, like better suited. People were just like, yeah, how old are you? I was mm. like, yeah, okay, I'm this old. How old are you? Okay, what do you do? Oh, yeah. It felt really natural to me actually because <laughs> i'm not the one of those people that Good. like actually i mean i want to tell a story For sure i was considered this is not something to do with china okay this has to do with me and i guess i mm -hmm. when i was a young man i was not a courteous person so i would really yeah so this is a phone thing we used to have the you know the phones that ring and they were hanging on the wall with the cord right. so <laughs> people would call most often mm -hmm. to talk to my mom and i just be like mm -hmm. yeah what's up who do you want to talk to mm -hmm. they're just like People would say on the phone, my dear Jason, that's not how you answer the phone. And this happened for like years. You should say, why, hello, how are you? And ask me how I am. And then blah, blah, blah. And this wasn't just like one cousin or something that said this to me. It was a lot okay. of folks. But like, I like to get down to whatever's relevant. You know, okay, you're calling. Right. Obviously, there's someone you want to talk to. What you want? Who's that? So, yeah, what do you want? Who do you want to talk to? Why are you calling? Yeah. So like, I, I got a lot of people like telling my mom, wow, you really need to help Jason, like, you know, work on his courtesies and stuff. Like, uh, 
that's that's funny. So when people in China were like, how old are you? And like, how much money do you make? It was just like, OK, yeah, I mean, what do you make? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get some social service surveys done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyhow, that's really funny. people you know coming into china to get shocked uh, uh. to think that people are trying to invade your personal space mm, mm, mm. it's just friendly chatting to kind yeah, of establish yeah. like who you are yeah, yeah. right how you're going to fit into this place how they can help you with good intentions mm. but i think after after a while you get used to it because you you will feel that people have good intentions mm, and they're mm, actually mm. friendly yeah and once you you have you know once that's established you can forgive a lot of other things mm, <laughs> mm, mm. yeah so culture shock. Yeah, culture shock. Well, I mean, reverse culture shock, I think, is a big deal for me. I want to tell another story. I, I grew up sure. in a smallish kind of town. I was called Modesto. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't always talk about Oakdale and Modesto. I spent like a lot of time in both when I was a young, young man. Not young, a boy when I was a mm-hmm. boy. And um, mm-hmm. eventually I thought of San Francisco as the big city, you know, or Sacramento even. And mm-hmm. obviously those are not big cities. And everyone who's listening at home is like, oh, yeah, those are just cities. I think San Francisco's population is like mm-hmm. less than a million so it's actually really small even by american standards but for me in the mm. san joaquin valley california i looked at san francisco as the shining like metropo- metropolitan place on a hill and uh-huh. when i went there i felt wow uh-huh. i'm in the city this is so cool and like it's so busy <laughs> and there's so much stuff so i moved to beijing and i lived there for oh, quite a uh-huh. while I'm, I, I didn't go back home for like five years i was just like you know i want to really get into mm. it was so much and i, I traveled so around much to a explore. lot in Shandong yeah. and other places and eventually i did go home because i was like you know i'm being rude to my mm-hmm. family i need to go back and be like hey how's it going mom and dad so <laughs> i went back and my first thing was i landed an sfo and i was like okay i'm gonna take a day for myself before i go home to mm-hmm. my parents and just you know go check mm-hmm. out the city again and i went down wait 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 yeah wait 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 you went you flew back Wait, did nobody pick you no. up at the airport? They live in the they live in the San Joaquin Valley. I, I just got out of SFO. I told them you can meet me at the end of this train called oh. the Bart Bay Area okay. Rapid Transit, where it meets in like Pleasanton, Dublin, about halfway to my parents' house from San okay. Francisco. Sorry. And that way they don't have to drive so far. They are old, and I didn't want them to drive all the way into SF. Plus, I wanted to kind of mm-hmm. see the okay. city again because I I spent a lot. I spent uh, a decade there too, mm-hmm. and I wanted to really. So I uh, I went downtown to Embarcadero. And I, I was like, oh, this is so exciting. And then I looked around and I was like, this seems so small. <laughs> like it was actually like even the, the ta- some of the tallest buildings in San Francisco are actually smaller than like mm. the housing complex I'm in now today, right now. I mean, I mean mm. I'm mean, i on the, the 17th floor of a housing complex. And this is probably as tall as the Transamerica building in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And this is just one of hundreds and hundreds of or thousands of buildings in Wuhan. Mm-hmm. And so when I was, when I got, I was very underwhelmed. It was almost like mm. the feeling when I was living in San Francisco, when I went to go visit my family in the San Joaquin Valley and elsewhere, it felt like I was going to a small town. When going mm-hmm. from Beijing to San Francisco, it felt like I was going to a small town. It was just, <laughs> it was also so sparse. Like people 
were not it wasn't right. as busy as I remember it. It was just mm-hmm. like people were spaced out and mm. it was just like kind of this reverse culture shock of kind of like Where is everybody being let, let down? <laughs> yeah, this isn't the city that I thought it was when I was younger because you know, obviously Shanghai and Beijing and all these other cities I'd experienced mm-hmm. in, in Asia and I've been to Tokyo and like Taipei and mm-hmm. I went back and, and it San Francisco's this tiny little town. <laughs> and that was a kind of a shock for me to some extent. And I was like, right. okay, cool. This reminds me of what my mom told me because she, you know, she grew up in a Chinese village and, you know, she used to talk about this huge tree in the in the village. That's like, you know, where how she will locate her village and all that and whatever else things that are under that tree. But she said years later when she went back and actually saw that tree, she was like, what? That's it? <laughs> that tree was huge. Mm. This is just a tree. <laughs> mm. So all the years, you know, she see her world was expanded by so much. Mm. And also, I mean, she grew up herself. So, you know, I guess it's from a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I think when you go back to the States, it's also the sense of just where is everybody? You know, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. that people will live here, but where are they? You know, any <laughs> suburb. Uh, we live in the suburb. There are houses, there are cars, there are like no people outdoors. You're right, yeah. I mean, if you, go to, if you go to the park, you get to see people jogging or, you know. Maybe, uh, the maybe weekend. a little bit. Yeah, over the weekend. You're absolutely right. In my mom's hometown, I, I was like, okay, I want to go see, you know, her town. So I, I left in the morning, like, to go to Starbucks, which is in the center of her town. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was walking and I went blocks. Mm. I didn't see anyone. I mean, presumably they're in their house or something, but it's like, uh-huh. was there an emergency? I don't know. about. Right. <laughs> like, it was just like nobody at <laughs> all. And it was just like, oh, OK, I guess this is America. I just forgot. Right. Like, See, yeah. reverse cultural shock. Um, when I was working at the radio station, I remember one of my coworkers. He was also from uh, maybe from the States. He was a foreigner. And then her mom, well, he, his mom came to visit one day. Mm. And after work, you know, he took her onto the subway mm. to go out for dinner. And at the Chinese subway in Beijing, you know about it, right? Yeah, after work, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, packed. Yeah. And her mom was like, oh, is this some kind of a national festival? Is this some kind of national holiday? <laughs> Why is all these people out? She's like, no, no, no. This is just after work rush, <laughs> rush hour. <laughs> so, you know, I think for them, it's also shocking to see so many people. Especially. I just thought of this mm-hmm. just now. Another huge difference. It's a massive difference is the grocery store. So like, grocery yeah, yeah, yeah. Store. As oh, an American, okay. I go to this store that's not too far from my house here in Wuhan. It's called Aeon. Mm. And I go to the area where they sell milk and yogurt products until I narrow in on the one tiny little shelf that has two brands of cheese, three brands of cheese. <laughs> Or maybe if I'm lucky, they have four. <laughs> and then like I, you go back to the States and there's an aisle of cheese. Yes. And OK, that is one thing I, I do want back. <laughs> right. But you can get them online. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know. I, there's, spe- there's special places and ways to order them. I yeah. just ordered um, my, I don't know how many, probably the mm. fourth, fifth five pound block of cheddar cheese from Ireland. (laughs) And also I got a five pound block of butter from Belgium. There's so many different choices and I get them on, you know, the Taobao website and it got here the next day Mm -hmm. because they're, Mm -hmm. you know, shipped out in beach. So I know, I understand what you're saying. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah, ask your wife to go on Taobao and there are all kinds of cheese for sale. All kinds. Another thing, this is a more of a similarity that people miss is that people say in, in China, they have wet markets. 
But, you know, huh. I ask you, what is a farmer's market, if not a mobile wet market? Because all it is is like farmers showing up with all of their vegetables and, and oh. stuff for sale. Uh-huh. Basically, that's, you know, all the cheapest vegetables are like down the street at the, the wet market. Oh, or the, the freshest. Basically, indoor farm. Yeah. Mm. And like, you know, you just go in and you could potentially haggle. I don't haggle because the prices are so cheap anyway. Right. Like, right. so, you know, you can get a bag of oranges or a bag of whatever you're looking for. I get lemons and limes a lot mm-hmm. lately. Mm-hmm. But, you know. It's it's very I love expensive. those markets. Yeah, they're they're great. And then you know, if sometimes they don't have everything you need, so you know, you two trips, you get to go to the store for like toothpaste, or you could order it right. for your home. I think you know, back when I was a kid in Wuhan, um, that's when life was slower, right? Life was normal. I, I felt like that's sometimes I feel like that's what life should be. People didn't spend all their time, mm. you know, mm. looking at their cell phone or glued to the TV. They still they lived. And back then. My grandma would go to the market every day with fresh markets to get fresh vegetables and fish and other things and even chicken, you know, you name it, eggs. Um, That was just part of daily life. And when people get off work, I remember the, the market we had, and for a lot of people, it's on their way back to, you know, to home. So they would go grab a few vegetables and uh, take them home and cook their dinner. But nowadays is, you know, you shop once every few days or mm. when we went to the States, you know, you shop once a week. And then for a few days, your fridge is like full of stuff. Mm-hmm, it's too full. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the week, yeah. it's like too empty. Yeah. <laughs> so. A lot of Americans have a pantry. So they have like a special little room that's like a, a walk-in closet Chips. that is full of food that you could have, <laughs> you know, potentially you have food in there for like a year. You have pasta and chips and all mm. kinds of stuff that, you know, dried hey. goods that coffee, tea. Yeah. Have you noticed how in China people have, they eat less canned food? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like canned food is popular in the States, yeah, right? Very. Here it's like people don't, it's not part of everyday life. You know, like usually people don't eat canned food un- un- unless like you're stuck at, you know, a certain place. <laughs> you can't get anything else. Mm. So maybe that's, an, you know, that's another difference when it comes to cooking. They Here in China, they value fresh cooking a lot more. Mm, mm. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. When something comes in packaged, it's like, even though they're more expensive and they look shinier and just they look nicer, but still, you know, people kind of like, ah. It's not as good. Yeah. yeah the gentleman we had on the better. other day, Morris, he he mm. talked, he was one of the first person that introduced me that, you know, it's time for fish for dinner. I'm going to the mm-hmm. store. So like, okay. Nice. On, on a daily basis, he'll just go buy what he needs to. I, I, you see that with a lot of older people. They too. have the time. People in the early morning, I'm on my way to like work. Mm-hmm. And I, I see people already on their way home From the market. and they're carrying like <laughs> bags of, of like vegetables that that's today's vegetables. Right. That's what they're going to eat today. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, I get a sense of um, warmth and joy seeing that because I feel like that's life. That's what life should be. You know, you have the time to live your life. Hmm. Um, and is there a sense of uh, stability and peace? Um, it's not about, it's not fancy and it's not, you know, wealthy, but somehow there's comfort to it to know that you have the time and the health and the safe, you know, you're safe enough to every day go to the market, get fresh food, you know, mm. for today. I think the joy in that, a lot of people miss out on the joy of that in their chase for a better life. But maybe that's just because you are at a different stage. There's 
there's another thing in addition to like just local markets what you see in all cities in china even really big cities like where you're living like mm-hmm. somebody who grows oranges will just suddenly be on the corner selling oranges so like you're on your way home and you're like oh cool <laughs> there's the guy who grew oranges that he just rode into town mm-hmm. that day and he's selling oranges so you can literally buy like the freshest possible fruit and vegetables right like all the time because they're just people that okay i grew ginger so mm-hmm. now there's a guy selling ginger on the corner okay i'm just gonna get some ginger now they probably um like just came from some village um some yeah, distance yeah. away yeah to get some cash you know for what they produce and also i think it's for mm. the people who are living in the city it, it would be a nice novelty almost you know on <laughs> your way home hey fresh oranges literally plucked from the tree like this morning so a nice treat I, I like it. I like that sense of, oh, how do you say it? Liveliness, mm, mm, you know, mm. like people are living their lives, not just trying to be like machines, you know, mm. not like you just uh, trying to make a better living. You know what I'm trying to get? The the sense of warmth and liveliness. Yeah, yeah. yeah I really mm-hmm. value that. One mm. thing, you know, because of the pace of construction here that I've noticed is that when I was living in Beijing, especially like I could always hear the distant sound of someone redoing their apartment. <gasps> <laughs> not pleasant. So ones. around around seven thirty eight in the morning, you could hear often because we, my wife and I, we moved around a lot, and like not everywhere, but a lot of the places we lived, people would be redoing their apartment or maybe setting their apartment up for the first time, depending on where you were living, and like there was the sound. That's not as common in the states. Once a neighborhood has been built, it's just there now. It's built. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the thing. When when you buy an apartment in China or a house, mostly apartments, if it's a new apartment building, what you get is like concrete apartment mm, mm. with nothing else in it. I think that would be a shock <laughs> if <laughs> a foreigner moved to China, bought apartment without knowing that it's not, we call it, it's not uh, furnished, right? And by furnished, we don't just mean furniture. We mean everything. You know, what you get is just the, um, what do you, what do you call it? There's a term in Chinese, but. Bare? Um, Barren? It's bare. Yeah. It's just like concrete walls. There are new ones now. But, you know, not always, baby. There's a, a company called Vanka, Vanka World. Mm. And they have like, I, we lived in one of their apartment complexes and they come uh, standard. Nice. So all of them have the same chandelier and the same door and the same paint job and the same. Same chandelier? Even chandelier? Even the chandelier, oh, no. the light switches, <laughs> like the same everything. So uh-huh. like, yeah. You, you can, most of the apartments are what you're talking about, where you move in and then you do decorate yeah. yourself or hire someone to decorate it. Or you can actually buy these like prefab already done inside, depending on the, it depends on the housing brand that you go to. Yeah, I would definitely pick the second one. I might change the chandelier, but because <laughs> um, <laughs> for, you know, young couples buying their first apartment, you can see their mental state deteriorate <laughs> when they go through the, the months where they furnish their apartment. Because you literally have to go to these markets to get, you know, the the wallpaper or to get tiles for their for the floor and to get the uh, toilet for the bathroom. I mean, like, who wants to go through this? Just excruciating a process. Increasingly, a lot of Americans now do this 
slowly. So they'll like, because there's like Home Depot and all these really ah, big brands. Right. So this is a huge difference. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were like, oh, I could be a carpenter and a plumber. <laughs> and so then th they like go through this very, they'll, they'll do one room mm -hmm. and then they'll do like one room and then they maybe they add a patio. Be like, it's not that bad. <laughs> a lot of people hire, they hire trades, mm -hmm. tradesmiths to come and, and either do it or fix what they've done later. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> if you have the cash and you want to come in and buy your own apartment, make sure you ask <laughs> whether or not it comes furnished or it's just like a bare apartment and by bare we mean bare like nothing in it yeah um so that's something that you need to get ready mm. for <laughs> part of the culture shock. yeah it is uh, but we are out of time baby again <laughs> i think we should talk about renting renting and, and buying an apartment that could be its own show just renting and buying an apartment sure well i i've rented i've never really uh, bought one um but sure. I've, sho I've shopped for one. <laughs> really? Well, we can hear about that next time. All right. We'll talk to you guys next time. Always yeah. great to talk with you, baby. Yes. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, our dear listeners. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.